Good morning. I'm so glad that you are here. This is a good day to be in God's house. God's got something good for every one of us. I think we need to come into God's house with an expectation. If you don't have an expectation, probably nothing's going to happen. But I expect God to speak something to my heart, whisper something down inside. Um, if, you, if you brought your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read from this in uh, just a moment. <clears throat> Before we do that, I just, uh, I just want you to be thinking. Suppose you lived your whole life and you knew you were at your last day. You just had a couple hours of your life left. Is there something in particular you would want to say to the people that you love and you care about? Would you have some last words that you would want to say to them? I wonder what those last words would be. Culminating every, everything you've learned in life from the time you were a child till the time you're about to leave, what would be the most important thing that you would want to say to your loved ones? That's a good question. We ought to reflect on that because what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some last words that some of these great men of God that wrote the Bible have to say to us. And today we're looking at the last words of Peter, which is in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11, and we're going to finish up what he has to say. Just, just think, he's reflecting on what is most important for him to say. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about its, the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt like heat, melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth yes. where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's presence means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. These are some key thoughts that Peter wants us to remember. So I'm going to attempt this morning to unpack those key thoughts in a relevant way so it fits all of us in today's world. <clears throat> Here's the first thing. There, there's really three thoughts that I'm going to pull out of here. And the first one has to do with be pure in your morals. You understand what morals are? Your moral values are what's right and what's wrong. 
root word is more, which is the normal. What is the normal? What is the proper thing? We need to be pure in those morals. We live in a day when that is rare. We are are bombarded in our culture with perverted thoughts. I was praying yesterday morning at the, the prayer meeting we have every Saturday morning from 10 to 11, and I was thinking about this message that I was going to be sharing today, and this, this thought came to my mind, and I know it came from God. Satan is the great pervert. Yes, Now, you know that word pervert? That's an insult. You know, you're not just talking about what somebody does. You're talking about who they are. He is the great pervert. Everything that is true, everything that is good, everything that comes from God, he perverts it, he twists it, he warps it so that we think it's genuine. We need to be pure in our moral standards. He gives us three things. Number one, be spotless. Number two, be blameless. Number three, have peace with God. Those three things are crucial in a Christian's walk. If you don't have those three things, nobody else is interested in your God. And what we are to do as Christians is to take the good news out into the world. And if nobody's interested in the God we have because they look at our lifestyle, something wrong with that. First, he says, Paul says some strange, he says the same thing. Paul says the same thing. Well, what does he say? A couple things Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What's he talking about here? He's saying, when I, when I hurt somebody, when I steal something, when I do something that God told me not to do, I am offending God. But in sexual immorality, when I do something outside of the bounds that he has clearly said is the way he wants us to live, I'm sinning against myself. I'm bringing judgment on myself. We just sang a song about the goodness of God. All my life you've been so good to me. The fact of the matter is, the time when it looked like God was bad to me was the time I did something against myself. I set myself up with a trap. I crossed the line, and God said, I don't want you living there. I'm going to jerk you back. I'm going to get you back where you belong. Here's another thing Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's a form of the word saint, to be set apart for a holy purpose, that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. There's supposed to be a difference between the way Christians live and the way non-Christians live. He calls them pagans here. There's supposed to be a difference, a clear difference. And Satan is the great pervert And if I'm insulting him, that's my intention. He is the great pervert, twisting, warping, taking things that God intended to be holy. When God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. That's the first command in the Bible. 
So God created sexuality. He's got a purpose behind it, and he wants it to remain holy. That's for all of us. So that's the spotless part that we focus on our spiritual journey and not our fleshly journey. It's not about what feels good in my physical body. It's what feels good in my spirit. Yes. We've got to address that. <clears throat> then his second word, second thing there about be pure in our morals is be blameless. To be blameless. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Did you know he's, it says that? He is constantly before God saying, Look at what he's doing. Look at what he did. Look at his life. He's down here trying to let everybody know what a good Christian he is. And then when nobody's looking, these are the things he does. He's constantly pointing a finger at you and me, pointing a finger at us before God. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's trying to take all the brothers and sisters in the faith, and he's trying to, to throw up our sin before God. So what do we do knowing that? We've got to get our act together. We have to say, God intended something that's good. I need to find out what this good thing is. I need to grab a hold of this good thing. And no matter what my flesh feels like, I've got to focus on God's intent, on God's desire. That's the blameless. And then he says to be at peace with God. You know what it is to be at peace with God? That's what you felt the first time you embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's what you felt when you confessed your sin, you identified with, with your own sin, your own fallenness. You identified with that, and you asked Jesus to come into your life, and he wiped all the sin away. That's what peace with God is like. You still got it? Because what often happens is we go on through life and we, we let the great pervert pervert our thoughts. How many times have you been sitting watching television and a commercial comes on and they're trying to sell us some product and we look at it and we shake our heads and we say, I can't believe they're putting this on television. How many times have you thought that? And a year later, you watch the same commercial and it doesn't phase you. What happened? You got numbed to it. We live in a world that's trying to numb us to God's word, to what is holy. Do you want to be able to sing the song at the end of your life? Your goodness is so good. All my life you've been good to me. I want to sing that. But I've got some responsibility. Philippians chapter 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, you can't figure it out. You can't go to a counselor and have a counselor give Come you on. this peace of God. It transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've got to come back to him. We've got to keep visiting the cross. We have to keep revisiting the cross. We have to keep coming back and say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. Yes. I want to have that peace in my life. That's important to me. I think it's important to you. And I'm not just saying that for those people in the house. I'm saying that to you that are watching at home, you that are watching in one of the nursing homes. Grab a hold of the peace of God. Yes. You don't do it through the world's way. You've got to do it through his way. Yes. Here's the second thing I want us to see that he's telling us, Peter's last words. 
We need to be pure in our doctrine. Our doctrine is what we believe. Doctrine isn't a bad thing. It can become a bad thing if your doctrine is wrong. But your doctrine is simply what you believe. And the great pervert wants to warp what we believe. He wants to get us to think we're really, we're really not God's kids. I mean, how can God love somebody like you? And he keeps coming back with undermining. You don't really belong. These people don't care about you. Keeps whispering those lies to you. Those are lies, you know. And those lies can pervert our doctrine, what we, what we see about God and salvation. So in verse 17, he gave us three little phrases I want to focus on here. The first one is, be on your guard. That's an action term, you know. Be on your guard. Don't fall asleep. Don't be too careless. Don't be too relaxed. Be on your guard. Because the great pervert is at work all around you, trying to pervert the way we see things. Be on your guard against spiritual attack. Here's the thing. One of the things the devil wants us to do is forget we live in a spiritual world. He wants us to forget that there are angels and there are demons. And this world is a spiritual place. Yeah, it's a natural place too, but it's also a spiritual place. And Christians realize we live in a natural world, but we also live in a spiritual world. And we're not afraid to talk to this God and ask him to do certain things. And he does answer prayer. If you haven't had God answer a prayer in your life, you've probably not been praying right. Because he wants to connect with us. Be on your guard against spiritual attack. I feel like I'm speaking prophetically right now that some of you are going to have a spiritual attack in the next couple days. I just felt like the Lord dropped that in my heart. That wasn't in my notes. So you're going to be under some spiritual attack pretty soon. And he wants you to recognize what it is so that you can resist it. Be on your guard, he says. Secondly, he uses that phrase, the error, which means it's a mistake, the error of lawless, lawlessness. What is lawlessness? It means there's no law. It means there's no rules. Every man does which is right in his own eyes. Everyone does whatever feels good at the moment. There are no standards. There are no absolutes. There is no right and wrong. It's right in this situation, but it's wrong in that situation. That's lawlessness. Now, I'm glad I'm not under the Mosaic law because that was pretty oppressive. I'm not under the law. God hasn't given me the law. That was given to the Jews in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. I'm in the New Covenant. So the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, don't apply to me. The law of Christ applies to me. Yes, amen. That's what I embrace. That's what I hang on to. Yeah. The law of lawlessness. Titus Chapter 1, verse 9 says this, talking about leaders in the church. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. There's going to be people who oppose sound doctrine. Sound doctrine simply means it's the truth. 
We need to embrace the truth. We need to hang on to the truth. That's sound doctrine. And there's always going to be somebody who wants to pervert it because they've been deceived by the enemy. You and I can't be those kind of people. Lawlessness says there is no standard. Do whatever you want. And I'm seeing America move closer and closer to a state of lawlessness. Both Republicans and Democrats want to point to the Constitution and say we have to embrace the Constitution. The fact of the matter is there's very few of us in this room have any clue what the Constitution says. When I went in the army to serve my country, I had to raise my right hand and take an oath and swear that I would uphold and depend the Constitution of the United States. There wasn't a one of us in that room knew what the Constitution said. And I'm not talking about the Constitution. I'm not talking about politics. I'm simply talking about lawlessness. God has spoken clearly to us. It's in the book. Have we forgotten the book? Have we forgotten this is the manual on how to live your life, how to have God's favor, how to have God be good to you all the days of your life? Have we forgotten that? We need to get back into the book. Because it gives us hope. This is good news, church. It's good news. It's good news. We don't need to be afraid of it. God's trying. He's not trying to oppress us. He's trying to free us, give us liberty. And then the third phrase he uses in verse 17 is your secure position. Do you have a secure position? Here's where we get our security. It comes from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this earth to identify with human beings, us sinners. He went to the cross and paid the price for us, our sin. He redeemed us. He paid the ransom. He set us free. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the basic. That's the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ did this for us so that we could be free, so that we could be Liberated so that we could be the people he wants us to be. Your position is you are in Christ. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are positioned in him. And he is the Son of God. And God the Father watches out for the Son. And we identify with the Son that makes us sons of God, sons and daughters of God. This is good news. This is what our secure position is based in, not something we do, not our church membership. What he did. It's what he did. That's our secure position. And verse 17 implies very strongly that we can fall from our secure position. What he's obviously referring to is people who have entered into a relationship with God by their faith and then they changed their mind and they turned back to legalism. They turned back to the law. And I think this is, this, is, this is what has muted the church of Jesus Christ in America. Come on. It's muted us. We have lost our voice to a lost community. There's a world out there going to hell. They're messing their lives up. They're going through marriage after marriage. They're going through bankruptcy after bankruptcy. They can't figure out how to live their life from one day to the next because 
They've turned the wrong way. They haven't honored God. I want to honor God. I'm tired of messing up. Are you tired of messing up? It's time we get this right. You can fall from your secure position when you turn to your good works instead of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I am eternally secure in Christ. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Not this one. Because I don't intend to move from my position. My position is child of God based on what Jesus did, not on what I do. As long as I hang on to that, I am eternally secure. Can I willfully walk away from that? Absolutely. But I don't intend to. Here's number three. Here's the third thing I want us to see. He says that we should be pure in our morals, pure in our doctrine, and thirdly, pure in our grace. Grace is something we receive from God. It's also something we pass on. Did you know that? Grace is the opposite of works. Grace is favor you haven't deserved. We need to be pure in our grace. Verse 18, if you want to go back and check that out, this is what it's saying. Grow is a verb. Everything alive grows. If it's not growing, you, there comes a point in someone's life, I am learning, that you stop growing tall and you start growing out. But you're always growing. If you stop growing externally, you're growing internally. Are we growing? We should be growing. It's a verb. Romans 6.14, Paul says, For sin should no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace is something we receive, but it's also something we pass on. And the only way we pass it on is when we grow in that grace. We have to grow in it. Growing requires... Well, that's my second point. It requires change. I'll get to that in a minute. Grow is something we have to do. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He also says where, grace, where sin abounds, grace does that much more abound. That much more. What does that refer to? That's requiring, a, it's talking about growth. Grace is something that we grow in. I need to grow in this grace because I'm not very naturally a grace-oriented person. I'm naturally a works-oriented person. You better change your ways. That's works-oriented, changing your ways. I want to see your heart change, and then I don't have to worry about you changing your ways. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Did you know that? He opposes the proud. You think you're so cool. You think you're so great. God, God's going to stand there, cross his arms, and stare you down. He won't do anything to help you out. You think you're so cool? Go for it. You recognize You don't have anything to offer. You can't keep winning. You keep stumbling. You keep falling. You keep making these mistakes. 
When you recognize that and you finally come to God and say, God, I am so messed up, I desperately need you. That's when his favor pours out in our life. And in the second part there I want us to see is growth does require change. You cannot stay where you are and grow. It requires some kind of change. And we hate change, don't we? I've been working with human beings for how many years? I've learned one thing for sure. People resist change. I resist change. I hate it. My wife came into my office last week. And she said, this, this, this hadn't been done in 25 years. And I said, well, yeah, it's okay. No, it's not. She came in yesterday. She cleaned the house. And she said, you have to take care of this stack, and you have to take care of that stack. Everything else will be okay. So now she gave me some work to do. I got to clean up my stacks of stuff. I resist change. I like things to just stay as they are. But sooner or later, filth piles up, and you have to make some changes. A bamboo seed is about the size of a walnut. It's a real hard shell, real tough. And they will take that seed and they will plant it in the ground. They'll work the soil, loosen it up, put that seed under the ground, cover it up. And they will water it and fertilize it for a whole year. And nothing happens. They'll come back the next year and water it and fertilize it. And nothing happens. Third year, they water it, fertilize it. Nothing happens. Fourth year, they water that bamboo seed. They fertilize that bamboo seed. Nothing happens. I'd be giving up about now, wouldn't you? Fifth year, though, that thing finally works its way out of that tough shell. It begins to grow. Yes. 90 feet in six weeks. Now, I ask you, did that bamboo shoot grow 90 feet in six weeks, or did it grow 90 feet in five years? You see, it's all part of the process. And unless I miss my guess, there's some people in here God's been working on for five years or longer. Been working on you, working away, watering fertilizing, and you've been sitting there going no place. But today, the Holy Spirit is touching your heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you in a new way today. And when he finally works his way through that hard shell of your life, that seed's going to explode. That life he's planted inside of you, that spiritual life is going to explode out of there and rocket 90 feet. In a year. What's been hidden is going to explode out of there. And I want to be a part of that. Because knowledge is truth. And the truth will set you free. And you have to know the truth that's not perverted. 
And when you know the truth, it's not perverted. When you get into the Word and you let God tell you what He wants of you instead of you telling Him what, what ought to be right, you let God talk to you, it converts you. It changes the way we think. Grace is applying truth to life. Once you discover what the truth is, then you have to act on it. And nobody wants to act on it if we don't really believe the truth. Being sanctified, being holy, being the people of God, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. You either keep moving or you fall off. Like riding a bicycle. You either keep moving forward or you fall down. One of the two. I choose to want to move forward. I don't want to stay where I am. I'm at the age, most people at my age don't want to change nothing. But I'm willing to change because I don't like what my life has been. It can be better, but it can only going to be better with God. So I need to let Him work in my life. So I just shared three key thoughts that Peter wanted to be sure we, the church, knew. His last thoughts, summarizing everything. Be pure in your morals. Be pure in your doctrine, what you believe. And be pure in your grace. Not just the grace you receive, but the grace you give toward other people. If you... If you can't receive grace yourself, everything's got to be works, 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 and you've got to perform, perform, perform to get right with God, then you don't know what grace is. And you're not going to give grace to anybody else. You're going to demand that they perform as well. That's why the church has become muted. We've lost our voice, requiring people to change their lives first instead of giving them the good news that will change their life. We've left the good word, the good news out. We've got to get back to it, church. We've got to get back to it. So if you're here today and the Holy Spirit spoke to you while I was teaching, Holy Spirit spoke into your heart, listen, listen. He wants to do something with you. He wants to do something. Let him do it. Quit resisting. Just let him do it. And watch how he can change your life and bring good into your life. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song. And while we're doing that, might be a time when you need to have a conversation with God. You need to make some kind of a decision, some kind of a commitment with him.